Hey folks, this podcast goes beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Today we have Emmy Soika, and she is a volunteer manager at Hearts and Horses. Hearts and Horses is a therapeutic riding center based in northern Colorado that serves 800 participants with the help of over 1,600 volunteers. That makes this the largest volunteer program in the county. And at the helm of all that wonderful volunteer chaos is Emmy, and she has been gracious enough to spend some time with us today. Thank you so much, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. All right, we'll jump right in. Um, I want to get an idea of how you got here and what your journey was like. So can you just give us a brief synopsis of what your job is and what you do every day? So at the most basic level, my job is to oversee the whole volunteer life cycle. So I'm the one-stop shop for every volunteer who comes out here. I recruit volunteers, I train volunteers, I schedule volunteers, I have parties for volunteers, I sit around and chat with volunteers and get to know them. So anything that a volunteer needs during their process of being a volunteer, I'm the first person they come to but that also brings along a whole host of other things that aren't necessarily volunteer focused I do a lot with our IT infrastructure as well so I developed our online database I do a lot of marketing stuff so with the website and social media email newsletters things like that because a lot of our communication is going to volunteers so it makes sense that I'm involved with that totally and then I'm also involved in pretty much every special event that we do too because most of our special events have volunteers volunteering at them so (laughs) by default then I become involved as well makes sense but boy Boy, that's a lot on one person's plate, but you get to dabble a little bit into some different things too. So that sounds, that sounds fun. That's awesome. Let's talk about Hearts and Horses. So provide some background knowledge for people who may not be familiar. What is Hearts and Horses and what are some of the services that you guys provide? So we're a therapeutic riding center, which essentially means we work with a wide variety of different people from adults and kids with disabilities to at-risk youth to veterans to seniors with Alzheimer's. They come out here and through the process of learning to ride and through the process of creating a relationship with their horse, they can learn other skills they can use in the rest of their life. So physical skills, cognitive skills, social emotional skills, all sorts of different things that they can learn from the horses. And I saw on your website that you serve around 800 participants. What does that look like on a day-to-day? How many people are out here? So we do all of our classes and sessions. They're eight-week-long sessions. We have five of those sessions a year. And each session, we typically have about 200 to 215 riders. And that's that's 200 riders a week. And they're coming out anywhere from Monday through Saturday. We don't do classes on Sundays and any time during the day. So we have classes anywhere from 8.30 in the morning to 7.30 at night. How many horses then does that mean? I'm just doing the math in my head of like, 200 people and this many classes and that's a lot it is we have a herd of 30 equines on property that includes a donkey and two mule in addition to all the horses and they typically will do eight units of work a week which could be eight classes but some of our longer classes count as two classes sure okay that makes sense do you have a favorite? I know you're probably not supposed to have a favorite, but do you? I do, of course, because everyone does. <laughs> my favorite is Ben. He's my favorite for two reasons. One is he's the first horse I ever led here when I first started. Oh, so, you know, that makes memory. him special. The second, and he's going to kill me for saying this, but my brother's named Ben. And Ben the horse and Ben my brother have the exact same personality. That's so I just feel awesome. very at home when I'm with Ben. He's like, I get you. I understand you. Makes sense. That is great. Well, I'll have to meet Ben and (laughs) share some love. What is a typical day for you? I mean, it sounds like it varies a lot, but if you could just take an average view to give people a flavor of what your day-to-day is like. It is very, very different every day because a lot of it is so based on what comes up. I do obviously have long-term standing projects like planning for events or 
developing new programmatic things or things like that that I try to at the beginning of the week parcel out and say, you know, I'm going to work on this project on Monday and this one on Tuesday, this one Wednesday, this one Thursday. But typically in a day that those more long-term projects are only taking up maybe 30% of my day. The majority of my day is reacting to whatever's going on on property, sure. whether it's a volunteer group who comes out here and so I'm working with them, showing them around, showing them what projects they're working on. If we have a volunteer who cancels for a class, finding another volunteer to take their place, maybe it's stepping in and being that volunteer in the class. That happens a lot as well. <laughs> um, doing my own horse leading and sidewalking or helping a class get ready because maybe the instructor isn't able to be there in time and they, the volunteers need help to responding to Usually I get probably five or six emails or phone calls a day of new volunteers who are wanting to know how to get started. So making sure that I'm following up with them really quickly so that they can get plugged in. And then there's all those random <laughs> things that happen around the property that usually I'm the point person that people come to first. Since I'm working with volunteers, I sure. kind of know a little bit of everything on the property and with the operation. So if something's yeah. happening, they, instead, they just need staff support. Usually I'm the first one that volunteers come to. So then it's getting pulled into that. So I kind of plan for at least half of my day to be whatever happens. And then the other half I plan for you know, developing new trainings or working on some marketing communications with volunteers or doing that more infrastructure type project. On a daily basis or on a weekly basis, are you out with the horses every day? I mean, you've got your hands on a horse pretty much every day. Pretty much. Some days more than others. Some days it's just, you know, walking through the cross ties to catch a volunteer is getting horse ready. But a lot of days I'm helping turn the horses in from the pasture because we don't have enough people or I'm stepping in to help in a class or getting a rider mounted or something like that. So there's always definitely horse involved every day. That's sure. awesome. That's what everybody wants. Well, Hearts and Horses is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. We're a 501c3 organization. So what's a common myth of working for a nonprofit and can you bust it? Well, a common myth that we get with therapeutic riding centers specifically is sure. what kind of horses we're looking for. Oh, okay. Kind of the standard idea is, oh, therapeutic riding centers use horses that are retired and they're old and they're just walking around arena a couple times a week. So if they're lame or they have health issues, it's fine. But the reality is they work really, really hard. It's, sure. a, it's a sport. It's a, very athletic for them. So we need horses that are younger, typically not super young because we want them to be well trained and know what's going on and kind of have settled down and gotten used to different environments. Definitely horses that have the physical capability to be doing hours and hours of work every week because they're working hard. Those kids who are riding them, they're learning riding skills just like everyone else. So they need to be able to do high level massage work in some cases and more higher level riding skills. They're working hard all week. So we really are looking for rock stars who can do lots of things who have you know the physical fitness to do all of that gotcha all right next time you go to a therapeutic riding center or hear about it i want you to take a double look at those horses standing out in the field because emmy just busted that myth. <laughs> They are sports horses. You guys do some vaulting classes here too, right? We do, yes. Vaulting is pretty cool. I always take off time to watch that class because it's awesome. So and we cool. always do a big showcase for them at the end of the session. But it's really cool to watch, you know, these kids. Like there was one little girl that I was, I helped out in vaulting once. She had never vaulted before. She was super nervous and she just naturally has really low self-confidence and doesn't really think she can do much. And they had her standing on the back of that moving horse by the end of class. And the smile on her face, I mean... She thought she could do anything, which was really cool to see. That makes my whole day. Can you share something that's coming up at Hearts and Horses that you are excited about or that you want our listeners to know? Well, we just moved into a new building. In July, we moved into the Lucky Hearts Arena, which replaced our previous fabric-covered arena, which means that we now have two arenas in the same footprint that we previously had one, and it's covered, and it's heated, and there's lots of other infrastructure around it. So as a result, it allows us to really build our rider base and the number of riders that we can serve. 
but it also means that there's a lot of infrastructure behind that that we're having to develop. So in the next couple months, we're really trying to take a really good look at what does it take to support each writer so that we, when, as we grow those writer numbers, we can make sure that we're providing a really good base in terms of volunteers and staff and horses. And so we're really looking at different options. There might be more volunteering options coming up. There might be different kinds of programs wow. potentially, just yeah. kind of as we're sifting through all of that and figuring out how can we best serve as many writers as possible in this area now that we have this big new space. Great. So I'm really excited to be a part of that and the brainstorming and kind of just figuring out all those nitty gritty details. The future is yeah, bright. It is. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Hearts and Horses is amazing. And the things that happen in this facility and with this organization are just, I mean, they give me goosebumps. So thank you for all that you do and for everything that everyone does to put this into it, including your 1,600 volunteers, which is amazing. It's wonderful. And every one of them is fantastic. Yeah. And that's the best part of my job is getting to know every one of them. So getting cool. to become friends with them and creating those relationships is really, really awesome. Well, let's talk more about you and how you got into this really amazing position and working with this really amazing company. Was it obvious that this role is where you'd end up when you started out on your career path and education and all of that? Definitely not. I knew for sure that I wanted to be a nonprofit somewhere. I've always been involved in a lot of service work growing up. Um, I went on a couple mission trips to Chile and Mexico in high school and college, and it's always been really clear to me that I want to be a part of making the world a better place. I've always thought there's that really great potential inside of every single person, and we just need to find it and help it come to light. Mm -hmm. And I've always really wanted to be a part of that and to be a part of nonprofits. I definitely never really knew how I was going to be involved in nonprofits or in what issue or which area. Um, volunteer management was not where I was planning on starting out, um, and even therapeutic writing was not really on my radar either. I've never, I've always known that I wanted to be in nonprofits, but I've never had an issue or a passion for a specific type of nonprofit, I guess. Most sure. people go into it, they're like, I want to save the trees, or I want to do this, or I want to work with homeless people. Or, yeah. They have kind of that, that specific thing they want and I never sure. have so it's always been it was kind of tough figuring out like well which area am I most excited about which area do I want to work in and so I found this which is amazing and I love it and I'm really really glad I did find it but it definitely was a couple years of struggling to figure out where am I most passionate and what do I want to focus on and nonprofits is a very broad thing to start out as your goal for life I struggled not unlike a lot of people that, you know, are in high school, college, late college, post-college, you know, just that yeah. trying to figure out where do I fit into this whole grand scheme. I know I like this. So then what did lead you here after you kind of decided, all right, this is my path. I know I want to work sort of vaguely and in the nonprofit world. So how'd you end up where you are? I got my bachelor's at CU Boulder, double major in international affairs in Spanish and Portuguese. And while I was at CU, I got a work study position at the National Center for Women in IT. My boss in that position became my biggest professional mentor and really helped me kind of um, figure yeah. out what I wanted to do with life. And it got me involved in a very different kind of nonprofit than I was originally thinking of. So it was kind of interesting to get to, to be a part of that and to grow. And first I was just doing student research assistant type stuff. And then they actually hired me full time after I graduated. Cool. And I was a program manager for them. So it really gave me a really good idea of how nonprofits work and what are all of those different integral parts and different pieces of nonprofits. And so I started working on my nonprofit management masters with Regis. Wow. So, and that's a really cool program. They just changed it. The year after I graduated, they merged with the business school at Regis. Oh. So it kind of took on this MBA slash nonprofit 
feel. So I'm Smart. a little sad that I didn't get to do it when <laughs> it was in the MBA program, but it was still a really great program when I went through it too. And with that master's, they really go into all of the different pieces of a nonprofit and deep dive. So you do classes in fundraising, you do classes in um, executive development, you do classes in volunteer management and in marketing and wow. in finance, like every area you do at least one class in. Cool. So that was a really great way just to see all the different parts of nonprofits and be able to start thinking about, okay, well, I'm not really super passionate about the fundraising thing, but the program thing seems more interesting and start kind of chiseling away at the options, so to speak. And so then when I graduated from Regis, I had been at NC WIT for five years at that point. So I was kind of like, I'd like to see what else is out there, see what other options there are, Mm -hmm. um, especially now that I have this, all this new knowledge. And so I basically was looking for any nonprofit job in Northern Colorado. All of them. Very wide net. Wow. <laughs> Anything I could possibly find. And it took me about two years, but finally I saw the job posting for Hearts and Horses. And I grew up in Loveland, just down the road. So I'd heard of Hearts and Horses, kind of knew what they were about, and horses. Mm-hmm. I've always been a horse person. So I was like, wait a second. I know this organization is good. It's involving horses, and it's working with people, and being in nonprofits. This is like the perfect, most perfect fit ever. Wow. So I applied, came in for the interview, and within like seconds of the interview, knew this was the place that I wanted to be. Oh and my gosh. Luckily, they agreed with me, so here we are. <laughs> Full circle, you knew this is where it was yeah. going to be, and wow, that's amazing. It was very obvious very quickly that it was like, this is the right choice. Good for you. I mean, that's amazing. You're just such a perfect match, because you're, you're just such an optimistic, bright light, you know, to work with all the people. So, But were there any roadblocks that you kind of hit along the way, diving into the professional space or through your education that you had to overcome? I think in terms of finding a job, part of it was just there's not a lot of availability sometimes in nonprofits. It really ebbs and flows. There are times when there's a lot of nonprofit jobs available and there are times when there's just not. Yeah. And it can be tough for nonprofits too, even if they have a need for personnel, if they don't have the budget for it doesn't matter they still can't hire someone I definitely noticed because it took me about two years to find this job and you could definitely see this ebb and flow of when jobs were available when they weren't what kinds of jobs were available and yeah. so it was really hard during that process to really find things that I was interested in and things mm-hmm. to apply to and kind of navigate all of that especially because I wasn't myself super clear about what I was looking for patience right it yes. took a lot of patience exactly. it sounds like <laughs> and luckily I had the luxury of having a full-time job while I was looking so I, I could have that patience to really find what was right instead of just the first thing that came along. Well, I think that's something too that it's important for people to understand that you don't have to settle or feel like you're settling. Mm -hmm. Even if you're working a job that maybe doesn't check all the boxes for you, I think it's healthy to kind of keep an eye out and know your passions lie elsewhere or further and that you have that option, right? I mean, that's how life works a little bit is just keeping those options open and keeping an eye out and knowing that something better or a different completely left turn might be out there for you and that's okay. And I think especially for nonprofits because the end of the day it is a mission-based any nonprofit obviously is a mission-based organization which means the staff really have to care and be passionate about that mission so even if you can do the job mm-hmm. if you don't have that connection to the mission it's better I think at least to wait to find that organization you are passionate about because you're going to be more excited about it you're going to be more invested in it and therefore you're going to be doing your job better too what is next for you what's on your horizon something you want to learn about some place you want to go or do in your career next I've really been enjoying being in the volunteer management space and in all of the different trainings and workshops and conferences that I've done the trend that I keep hearing from everyone is that 
there's kind of this push to professionalize volunteer management, so to speak. I mean, volunteers have obviously been a part of nonprofits for a very long time, but it's always been something that just kind of got shoved on someone. It's like, oh, well, you work with volunteers, so you can just manage them. <laughs> and most organizations historically have not really had these traditional volunteer management positions the same way that you have, like everyone always has a director of development. Everyone always has an executive director. Everyone always has a program director. There's kind of those roles that are pretty standard in nonprofits. Sure. And volunteer management hasn't been one of them, sure. which also means there hasn't traditionally been a lot of research on volunteer management and, and standard policies and procedures and trainings and things like that. Yeah. And so there's this really big push right now that there's a lot of organizations really working to really professionalize the whole space of volunteer management. And I think that would be really awesome to be a part of and kind of be involved in creating a lot, you know, trainings and information and yeah. books and things like that. I'm going to the Colorado Conference on Volunteerism with Dovia. Every year they do it and it's a full day of workshops and all sorts of fun stuff. I love that you can go to those conferences and that those exist and that Hearts and Horses is willing to send you and have you go. I mean, that's huge. Volunteerism is such a huge part of who we are that we can't not find out more about it. And you guys would make a really interesting case study, I think, for some of that data that you were talking about and really professionalizing that space because you are, that's a big number, you know, 1,600 yeah. people is nothing to sneeze at to get organized and all of that. And I think the passion is in their hearts too. So I think you've got kind of a unique position to be able to kind of dive into that a little bit and dig into it and see what's there. And we're also unique in that a lot of our volunteering roles are more integral to the actual service than a lot of organizations because the volunteers are there with the writer through their entire experience. Sometimes they're working more directly with them than the instructor is. The instructor has a class of four writers. The instructor is working with all four. So each writer is only getting 25% of their time, but that writer is getting 100% of every one of their volunteers' times. Cool. So the volunteer is really involved at a much higher level than a lot of other nonprofits where you are doing really great things, but maybe you're prepping materials for an event or you're, you're just doing things that are maybe a little bit more disconnected. Absolutely. A little segue there then. Mm -hmm. Say I'm a student listening to this podcast and I attend Colorado State University or I go to school or I'm involved or I live in northern Colorado. How do I get involved? You come to an orientation first. Those are an hour. They're here on the property. So we do include a tour so you can kind of see everything, meet some of the horses. But we talk about what different jobs we have available, what training is required for the different jobs, what schedules look like. So once you start volunteering, you know what to expect. We also talk about hearts and horses and go more into depth about what we do and who we serve. So it's a really great way of getting the entire environment and getting all the basic information to get started. And from there, then you would go on to more hands-on training that involves whatever specific job that you're working on. So all of our orientation dates are posted on the website, heartsandhorses.org. There's a volunteering section and a get started today button on there. So it gives orientation dates, volunteer applications, Application, all the information you need to know get started. Perfect. And then Emmy will get you set up from there. And you will personally get to see me at orientation. Awesome. Well, uh, kind of on that same vein, talking to those college kids, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, your freshman college self, what's the advice that you would give? I would say give yourself time to start out and to learn and grow. I constantly feel, I mean, I've been here for three years and I make mistakes, I'll probably make a mistake tomorrow. And my brain automatically says, you've been here for three years, you should know this, you should be better than this. You've been here for like forever, you should know how to do this. Starting out is tough. Starting out yeah. as a young professional, yeah, you've just been through school and you've learned lots of things. You've got a lot of great books in your library that you can go reference stuff. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff you don't know and yeah. it's okay that you don't know it. 
you're not supposed to know it yet. That's what starting out and getting your first job is all about. But it can be really tough when you're in the weeds and you're in the middle of the mistake and you're trying to figure things out. It can be really tough to remember that this is normal. This is okay. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how I learn. I'm not going to be good at something until I've made the mistake a couple of times first. And someday I'll look back at this and I'll be like, you know what? That was when I became me. That was when I turned into the professional I am. But it's hard when you're actually in that moment. So true. Oh my gosh, that is such great advice. Absolutely. Give yourself permission to not know everything yeah. and to make the mistake. That's and it's great. it's good to not know everything. Yeah. Because that's where you learn new things and that's where you come, become a better person. Love it. What advice do you have for anyone that might be looking to get into the equine industry as a professional? The biggest advice I have is look at lots of different options. The most standard thing for anyone who wants to get into the therapeutic writing world is to be an instructor, to be in the arena working directly with the writers as a path certified instructor. But there's so many different options. Every nonprofit, every therapeutic writing center specifically has lots of different things that it needs to work. Yeah. Not just the people who are working directly with the clients 100% of the time. Sure. So looking at all the different options options, whether it be volunteer management, whether it be program services, whether it be caring for the herd specifically. We have three staff members who care for a herd and they're not necessarily teaching all the time, but they still get to work with the horses and be a part of that whole environment. Office management to fundraising to finance to human resources. I mean, all the things that every organization has, a therapeutic writing center has too. And the advantage of doing them at a therapeutic writing center is you still get to be involved in the programs, you still get to meet the writers, and you still get to be with the horses while you're doing all these other things too. So there's lots of different options. It's not just about the instructing, although the instructing is obviously incredibly important too. Take off the goggles, right? Like see all the plethora. Mm -hmm. And that's what this podcast is about. So thank you so much. And at a lot of centers, you do both. So at a lot of centers, especially the smaller ones, you might be instructing for a couple of hours and you're doing fundraising. So it's not like you're necessarily doing one or the other, but it's good to give yourself all those options. Options are good. Definitely. Let's talk horses, right? That's what we all want to talk about. That's our common denominator. So can you share your most memorable moment in this role or with horses? One of the things I really love is with volunteer management is the training piece. And I had this one volunteer who came through orientation and he came to talk to me afterwards. He's like, you know, I'm absolutely terrified of horses. The reason I want to volunteer is because I'm terrified of horses and I don't want to be terrified of horses. So I want to volunteer. It's like, so what can I do? I was like, well, why don't we start out with barn team, cleaning stalls, sweeping alleyways, all that fun stuff. You'll be around the horses, but you're not necessarily having to interact with them or, you know, lead them or work with them at all. But it gets you in that environment and kind of used to them. And he was a little nervous about coming to a group barn team training because he's like, I literally can't go near (laughs) horses. Like, I'm terrified of them. I don't want to be in this group setting and then be around my first horse. And, you know, so we did a private training just him and me, so that I could show him everything with barn team. And then at the end, we did his first introduction with his first horse. And it was a horse that was in a stall, and we just went in, and it was so cool to watch him as we're walking through just, like, you know, how do horses interact, how to, you know, pick up on horse body language, figure out what they're trying to tell you, you know, where do they like to be petted, where do they want you to stay away from, where are their blind spots, you know, all just the very basic information about interacting with the horse and then watching him put that into action, like walk up to a horse for the first time and put his hand on its shoulder and just see that whole interaction as he was realizing that these aren't these terrifying beings, that they're incredibly wonderful and sweet and kind and gentle and just getting to see him in that first moment where he 
you know, realized that there was nothing to be afraid of. And then just to watch him in the weeks and the months after that as he started doing more and more and getting more used to them and getting more comfortable with them and learning all the horses' names and chatting with Aww. me about, oh, so-and-so did this yesterday. And he would, <laughs> I mean, after a while, you'd never knew that, know that he was terrified of horses. That's so cool. Okay, let's talk horse industry recommendations. Is there anything horse-related that you think our listeners, you know, should really check out, something that you really like, you use here at the facility, just anything horse related. One thing, I personally just got a new helmet about a month ago. I realized that the one I had, I'd had for way too long and was probably not safe for me to be using anymore. (laughs) So I was like, hmm, I should get myself a new helmet. I searched a lot because fashion is, you know, kind of important. Even when you're on horseback, you got to look good, right? Yeah, sister. And when it comes to helmets, you want it to be a good helmet that's going to keep your brain from having problems if you ever fall (laughs) off too. So I ended up with a Troxel helmet, Troxel Spirit Performance, and I love it because it's really comfortable, but it also has these two big pieces along each side that are this pink and purple paisley. Nice. Absolutely adorable. I ah. love it. And every time I ride, everyone's like, Emmy, you have the coolest helmet. I like it. It's comfortable. I haven't fallen in it yet, so I don't, you know, I don't know if it'll save my brain, but I'm pretty sure it will because, <laughs> you know, it has pretty good ratings. That is awesome. Well, thanks, Troxel. We'll give them a shout out. That is fantastic. I'm going to have to check it out. Pink paisley. Yes. Mm, I like it. All right. Now let's uh, step a little bit away from horses. Do you have any non-horse recommendations? So something in your life that you think other people really should watch? or listen to or experience or taste or whatever it is that just that you really like. I've been reading a lot of books by an author called Sonali Dev, D-E-V. One of the books that she just came out with is called Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors. And it first caught my eye. My best friend told me about it because I am a massive Jane Austen fan, like absolute massive Jane Austen fan. And Pride and Prejudice happens to be my favorite (laughs) of all the Jane Austens. And so when she saw this book, my friend's like, you have to read this. But she's a really cool author. She writes stories about Indian Americans and that whole culture because because as they're coming from India, there's a lot of those pieces of the Indian culture that are staying with these families and these communities. The Indian culture is so different from the American culture that there's a lot of crossover too. And so especially kids who say have been born here to Indian families are trying to figure out this balance of how can I be Indian and American at the same time. And she writes some really awesome books about typically the characters in like the 25 to 35 year old range, just kind of navigating all of those different things, different stories. And so like Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors is an Indian woman who falls in love with an Indian chef. So that's that's where you get oh. the flavors and everything. And it has a very similar feel to Pride and Prejudice. But she's a really, really good author. And I just love reading all the different stories and getting to know the different kinds of people. And I love Indian culture to begin with, food and saris and all of that. So it's kind of fun to dream fun. that I'm there. But yeah. then getting to read about all these different themes that while they may be especially important in that Indian American culture, they're still important to all the rest of us too. That is awesome. What's the author's name again? Sonali Dev. Check it out. Yeah. You heard it here first. To wrap it up, we're going to play a little game. And I can't let you see my questions because it's got to be a surprise, right? So we're going to play this or that, and you don't have to put any thought into your answer. I'm just going to read you a list of questions that says either this thing or that thing, and you're just going to tell me which one you like better. You don't have to have any reasoning behind it. Just speed round. Ready? Ready. Okay. Mares or geldings? Mares. On the trail or in the arena? In the arena. English or Western? English. Books or movies? Books. Do you like a bound book or do you like e-books? Bound book. Gotcha. Skirts or pants? Skirts. Farmhouse style or more contemporary style? Farmhouse style? (laughs) She says hesitantly. (laughs) I like it. Facebook or Instagram? Facebook. To travel, would you prefer to drive or fly? Fly. When you go camping, do you want to stay in a tent or do you do the RV? RV. Africa or Asia? Asia. Digital planner or handwritten? Both. 
Mm, okay, okay. Are you a Mac or a PC person? At home, I'm a Mac person. At work, I'm a PC person. But at, at my heart, I'm probably more a PC person. <laughs> but my husband's a Mac person, so he's kind of forcing me. If you would rather meet a vampire or meet a werewolf? Vampire. And then homemade costumes or store-bought? Homemade. Good answers. <laughs> well, there you go. That is a look at Emmy Soika and her role here at Hearts and Horses and getting to know her journey a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us today. You had amazing advice. Your journey is phenomenal, and I think a lot of people can relate to it. And your job here is pretty stinking cool, so it thank you. It is pretty stinking cool. I absolutely love it, and thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for riding along. Know someone that would be great to interview? Have questions you'd like answered on the podcast? Send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com or join the conversation on social media. You can connect with us and learn more about the Beyond the Saddle podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at at beyondthesaddlepodcast. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Beyond the Saddle is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.